Hello, and welcome to the I Hear Design podcast, your source for interior design and architecture news, interviews, and opinions. I'm your host, Robert Naminen, and in today's episode, we'll be talking with one of our longtime friends of INS Magazine, Jane Rohde, principal and founder of JSR Associates. When it comes to designing senior living environments, Jane is the first person that comes to mind for me, not only because of her wealth of experience in the industry, but also because she's been a driving force for change. For as long as I've known her, Jane has been a staunch advocate for our seniors, investing her time, talent, and energy into designing environments in which they can not only live comfortably, but also thrive. To that end, Jane has spent the last several years developing an innovative, multi-generational model of care that supports both seniors and at-risk youth, proving that we are truly better together. In this lively conversation, you'll discover not only how the Live Together model works, but be inspired and equipped to re-envision the way you think about how to design for senior living in the future. Have a listen. Well, hey, Jane, it's good to see you as always. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Robert. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last time we spoke, which was actually very recently, uh, it was for an article I was working on about uh, memory care in senior and assisted living communities. And we had touched on this idea of the live together model that we're going to be talking about today and how, you know, having multiple generations of, of people living in a community uh, can be such a huge benefit um, to seniors uh, and young people alike. But uh, as we dive into that, um, for our listeners that may not be familiar with it, could you provide uh, context for them and explain a little bit about what an intergenerational model for senior living environments really is? I sure would. So we kind of have the two terms that are used often interchangeably as intergenerational, multigenerational. Mm-hmm. Multigenerational is is not as intentional. So you may live with, you know, like in the north end of Boston and you have your aunts are on one floor and your grandparents are on a floor and the younger kids and family are on a floor. That's more of a multi-generational. Often it, it comes with family. So you end up living in the same areas and the different um, locations, geographic locations. Intergenerational model is a little bit different because it's a little bit more intentional. So you're looking for inclusivity. You're looking for intentional programming that brings different ages together. And you're looking for intergenerational people living in the same environment. So they may not be related. It may not be family related. It could be affinity related or it could be the idea that uh, you you are looking to support a certain group or a certain vulnerable group. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see uh, kids aging out of foster care, like kindred care. So grandparents are taking care of them. So sometimes they need more support right, in terms of being able to have that happen. And so intergenerational communities can then support that. So it has a, a, a staffing portion of the model as well as being able to deliver service to everybody and all ages are accessing those services and amenities. So in recent years, you've developed uh, what's called the Live Together Intergenerational Community. Can you tell us a little bit about how that originated and how it works? Absolutely. So so this has been kind of near and dear to my heart for a long time, as you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the reason we decided to create the model and a nonprofit um, for Live Together is because we were seeing that the models that we were using are kind of broken in many ways. Mm-hmm. 
And they're also isolating. And I also work in the foster care system for uh, several decades, actually. I have two grown grown daughters who uh, were in the foster care system, who I was their their ma, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, we had looked at uh, talking through what the opportunities are for a vulnerable population. So Generations of Hope are folks that are out of Rantoul, Illinois. That's when I first started l- really looking into this and working with them many years ago. Bridge Meadows is a very successful uh, intergenerational model that's up in the um, Portland, Oregon area. And so the more we looked at it and the more we realized that workforce development was also part of the gap, why would anyone want to go work in a stinky nursing home? Mm. We're like, <laughs> mm, can't really think of anything other than absolute necessity. Um, so as we were kind of looking through that process, we realized that workforce development could also be part of a live together model. So we created two components. One is an institute where people could learn more about what does person-centered mean in the sense of not just the care and the support and services based on an individual, but also for this for the staff themselves. How what are their issues? What are we addressing for them? How are we helping them to be able to thrive as well? So so the intergenerational model kind of came together out of two nexuses. One of demonstration projects because we know that experiential learning is much better and much more effective if we can actually have different generations of workforce working together in an intergenerational modeling. So we looked at the workforce component being part of that as the institute and teaching people what that means. And then on the other side is the demonstration project, because if you can do the hands-on portion of it, then people can actually see that, oh, this is how this works. You know, we were not meant to like wake up when we're 95 years old, when someone dictates by a regulation that you should be up and fed and at the table by 7 a.m. when you're used to sleeping for 80 years until 7 or 9 or 8 p.m. or whatever it is or whatever your time schedules are, 8 Mm a.m., that would allow them to be able to get up for breakfast when you want to have breakfast. You have different needs. You get to select your clothing. You, We don't want to take all of the aspects of that person's life away simply because they have a diagnosis that requires care. So it's really trying to allow that person to be as independent as possible. So by putting that together, you can support the benefits on both sides, right? The mentoring both directions, you know, when we look at it from a, you know, uh, technology perspective, definitely that's a reverse mentoring opportunity for younger people and older people. Um, And there's something about having an older person in your life who can give you advice that's much different than your parent giving you advice, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? So I, I think that there's a different relationship that can be developed with older and younger people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was my next question really about uh, what some of the benefits are of taking an approach like this um, over a traditional senior living or assisted living uh, facility. So it sounds like there's a lot of interaction between occupants of, of different generations. Um, are there other benefits? Yeah, I think just from the outcome perspective of, and we're not really looking at it Um, interestingly enough, senior living is a hard area to make large change in, as we've seen. (laughs) But when you think about multifamily, I really think that Live Together is more of a multifamily that happens to provide service and care. So I think that the advantage is that everybody can be vulnerable at any point. So one of the benefits would be if I'm a a mom, I'm a single mom and I live in a Live Together community, and my child is sick and I need to go to work for a meeting or I have a meeting that I can't miss, what is the daycare options? Well, if you have a live together model where you actually have 
a manager or a concierge of service or a care manager. There's many different terms that can be called that person who coordinates service. But if you have vetted resources for that person, regardless of their age, and they can still make that meeting and take care of their their child that happens to be ill that day, that's a plus plus, right? And so part of that may be a natural neighboring event where they've gotten to know the neighbors and the neighbors are like, oh, I can I can take, you know, little Joey for the day. Um, or it could be a situation where they know where all the vetted drop-in daycares are. So anyone can be vulnerable at any moment. It doesn't matter what age you are. Mm, so yeah. that that moment of the benefit of having a little bit of support, but also then fostering the relationships. So we've always found that if you have a larger area that can everyone can get together to have a meal together, like a I call it a potluck for the lack of a better term. Um, that gives you an opportunity for everyone to be able to get to know each other a little bit better. And any of the communities I have worked, whether they're smaller or larger, that's one thing that we found is that bringing those residents together also helps with the benefits of the relationships, but it also gives you additional people that then become your friends. Um, it doesn't have to be an unnatural forcing of an activity. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, no, that's well said. So what kind of like thinking through some of the implications that this might have on the design community, kind of the way they think about planning spaces for senior living, assisted living or or even, you know, foster care. Well, where do you see or in what ways do you see this sort of changing the the paradigm, um, the way we approach uh, the design of these environments today? Well, I think that the planning, we we call it an engagement center. We actually don't use anything that uses the word old people. Because it's really not intended for quote unquote old people. Does it work well? Yes, but it's not, it's not meant for, it's meant for any age. So when we're looking at that from a planning spaces perspective, we have done some research and we actually did it with students from a STEM high school locally. And they were able to interview families in their own age bracket. And we would say uh, kids that were underserved. And they also were able to interview older adults. And so it wasn't uncommon that the main thing that came up was food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> food is the interaction of conversation. You know, you, you've heard the expression that starts with a cup of coffee. Um, I think that that often that's part of it. And it also gives working opportunities for people who may live in the community as well. So food is definitely a part of that. Um, we also found recreation and recreation can take on different um, applications. So on one of the sites we've looked at um, is an existing children's home site. And they have a, a large basketball court. They have a gym. They have a pool. And some of those those spaces are things that all the residents could potentially use. But there's also the spectator part and being part and active of something that is going on that you're part of, but you may be watching it instead of playing it. Um, so we think that recreation is is a second one. And the third one was definitely through technology. And, and that is that reverse mentoring. But it's also technology that helps. And and we one of the challenges we gave some of the kids was, could you create a game that is a board game, but it is also an app? So it would be an online game that you would play. Um, but you then the deal was you had to teach the older adult how to play the online version and but you had to play the board version with the on with the mm-hmm. adult as well. So ways of thinking about how things are translated from one generation to another generation. The spaces in terms of design, 
I mean, it's all the same things that you would do for anyone when you talk about inclusivity. You look at light reflectance values, you look at contrast, you look at acoustics. All the things that are good for an older adult are also going to be good for pretty much everybody. That's the one good thing about inclusive design is that you can actually create environments that are appealing and beautiful and aesthetic, but they also are very uh, carefully planned so that they reduce potential falls. They mm. allow people to get in and out of chairs easily. They um, all those different pieces and parts. And um, so I think that the design side of it may not look that much different from a community center as you would think of it, but mm. with a few more things as the overlay um, that contribute to it. And you want spaces to be at a nexus where they intersect. What I found is that in, and this was sort of happenstance. When I first started my career working at a continuing care retirement community, we had this room called the Terrace Room, and it was a luncheon place. I couldn't figure out. It was so incredibly popular. It was because it was at the crossroads of where people came to pick up their mail, where three buildings came together. It was well lit. It had an access to outdoors, and it had an outdoor seating area. So it had all these different pieces and parts. And for some of my my younger my younger designers that really liked a good meal, some of my students, mostly male, really, really liked to eat. And um, mm-hmm. they would also wait a little bit later, and then they would go. And the meals were reasonably priced, and they could get a lot of food. So, so it was kind of this really interesting combination that I realized that engagement also has to do with location. Mm-hmm. So looking at things like walking distances and – how long does it take someone to get to an amenity space? And as they age, how long does it take? And is it an accessible pathway? Um, have the outdoor spaces been designed to reduce glare? Have, you know, so it's, it's really taking all those experience pieces that we know from the senior living marketplace mm-hmm. and then adding them into something that's more about living than it is about diagnosis. So Jane, just a quick follow up question for you. As you were talking about inclusive design strategies, um, it sort of made me think about universal design. Uh, are those two concepts uh, one and the same or are there differences between the two? I think it's interesting because there's a couple of definitions for universal design, but I think often it's it's equated with accessibility of the space. Um, but I think of it as more of a process. And that would come from the University of Buffalo in terms of when they evaluated universal design being that it includes not only the physical space and the accessibility of it, but also the process of it to have access to people and not be isolated and amenities and affinity groups and other, other types of activities people may want to do or participate in. And I think it wants to look at a little bit broader definition. So I like the idea that it's an idea of a process is how you define universal design. Mm -hmm. And from an inclusivity perspective, it's also looking at the culture of we've tried to do this in regulation and guidelines with the Facility Guidelines Institute to a certain degree, too, is trying to look at things from a cultural perspective. So if you're in a community that is multicultural, you want to provide opportunity for everyone to feel comfortable there. And so with equity and inclusivity as part of our conversations, I think it also looks at how do we open up that idea. Um, for the most part, our, you know, a lot of our settings for seniors are 87-year-old Caucasian women. Um, and that's not necessarily 
intended that way. It's just kind of really how the existing industry is in terms of the average age used to be in the 70s. Now it's in the 80s and it's a, it's not particularly diverse. So how do we encourage diversity in all the different various populations as well? So and I think some of that is understanding the locale and understanding what people need and what are the needs of various populations that are living in a community. And I think that with looking at economics is another way to evaluate it. Um, we've been looking at doing a, what we call a continuing care retirement community without walls. Um, my friend Marvell Adams has been working with me from W. Lawson. And it's this idea of basically having services that can be also brought to the home as well as part of a Sticks and Berks community. And that allows you to have higher revenue. With that higher revenue, though, it also allows you to serve a broader economic population. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all of those things, and it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. But uh, no, thank you for clarifying that, uh, just because I just wanted to make sure that we understand the, the nuances between the two there. So you recently announced that the Live Together model uh, is in alignment with AARP's uh, age-friendly communities. Can you tell us more about that and what that means? Yeah, we thought this was important because AARP is probably the largest organization that people know, like as a more household name, mm-hmm. um, except when you turn like 50 and you start getting the applications and it <laughs> is a little daunting. Um, but when you start seeing that, they do have an initiative called the Age-Friendly Communities. And we took a look at that to evaluate what the components of a Live Together community model. That's the other thing about Live Together is it's meant to be components and then the components that apply to a certain location are the ones you use. So it's not a replication design plop down the exact same thing in every area because every area doesn't need the same things. And so it's more of a grassroots way of looking at it and then looking at the various components and how do you assemble them to create a successful project and meet the needs of the community at large. So one of the things we looked at with the age-friendly communities is housing for all stages is one of their goals from the from ARP. And so we looked at that and we thought, okay, that's that's us, right? That's various types of housing sizes and cost ranges. That's the universal design that we were talking about and the inclusivity. That's looking at, you know, older adults, families, students, youth, you know, and perhaps it's it's not uh, underserved youth. Perhaps it's students that are part of a a college and are, are completing their college work and they need to have a location to live and they're working in aging services. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways that that could, could transpire. Um, and I, I like, and it's very general. The goals are very, are very general from ARP, like, uh, health reimagined. Well, that's physical activity. How do you support those activities? Um, outdoor access. I think if we've learned anything from COVID, you've heard me say this. I think mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, outdoor access, but also outdoor rooms and outdoor spaces and how important they are. And I think that is reson- resonates with everyone at this point. And that's that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And then the type of food you do, like so if you have a, a cafe or a coffee shop or a dining venue, is it farm to table? Are you looking at nutrition? Are you thinking about what the vertical garden might be in an urban situation where it grows vegetables? Or is it a area where you have enough to have a small garden that's not you know and protected from the local deer whatever mm-hmm. but you, you get the idea that that trying to think about health i like the term reimagined because our whole senior living industry in my opinion really needs to be reimagined um to try to think of it um they talk about equity inclusion and engagement we kind of talked about that mm-hmm. um high quality caregivers this comes about with 
when we're in crisis. We're really seriously in crisis with our with our uh, staffing and our staffing models. And so how do you encourage people? How do you help train them about what it can be to have a have a career in aging services? I mean, that's that's a tall order. And so we've been looking at that from very different venues in different ways. Yeah, I'm partnering with community colleges to do more person-centered care. We have one that we've we've received a grant and we're working on working with a college in Cumberland, Maryland, um, where we would actually bring the lifelong learning group, which are older adults, with the students. And let's have a let's have a powwow. Let's have a work workshop and a discussion, you know, around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that that can be really impactful. Um, looking at the equity gap, we don't have enough housing for anyone and affordable housing is even harder to find. So is there a way to bring housing and say in a college campus, for example, if you have dormitories that are no longer being used, why wouldn't that be able to be workforce housing for new graduates? And looking at that in conjunction with elders living nearby or living in the same building. You know, so I think yeah. reimagining also with closing the gap is is really important. Um, so that's kind of how we've been looking at aligning, you know, aligning with the goals of the ARP. And I, I think that people look to them for sort of a larger kind of format or framework, maybe to work mm-hmm. into. But now we need to create models that actually support people, um, all ages of people. I think we're really not only we need it, but we have to do something because we're going to start losing some of the other care systems are not really feasible anymore and they're not viable. And if they're not financially viable, we're going to have to do something different. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads me to my last question for you, Jane. Um, uh, speaking of reimagining the senior living model, what would you say or how would you describe your vision for the Live Together model? Uh, what do you hope it'll accomplish and in what ways do you hope that it will influence designers and architects who are creating environments for seniors? My hope is to get the demonstration projects completed that are underway now that we've been working on, because once we have a demonstration project, we can see it and people can taste it and experience it and touch it and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I have found when I present to other designers and architects, it seems to ignite something in some people I have a a woman that I've been talking with that lives up in Cornell I've been talking to some people in Ohio Uh, people will call after they see a presentation and go I want to do this and I want to do this for my community and and it could be an interior designer it might be a provider it might be you know someone that lives down the street and it's really been interesting to me that it ignites some excitement because they realize it's not an easy process but when they start looking at their resources and they start looking at what they could do and what other people they can partner with and other housing authorities that they know. And it's been really interesting to see because all you need to do is spark it. And then it seems like the architects and designers help promulgate it as well. And I, I think they know that things are we love beautiful things, aesthetically beautiful things. But we also know that there's a social responsibility that's attached to architecture and design. And I think that that and the younger folks, too, that are coming out of school, they want to have purpose to their work. And I think that a model like this can help inspire is what we goal toward. But more so, we want it both. We want it. We want a real project. And we also want to inspire for other people to do similar projects everywhere. We could use this everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. 
Um, so last thing, Jane, where can our listeners go to find out uh, more about the Live Together model? Is there a, a website URL you could share? We do. We have livetogethercommunity.org is the name of the website. And uh, please check it out. Uh, we have a lot of good resources on there. We just published um, some person-centered care videos that we have. We can You don't have to watch the whole two hours at one time. You can break them down. We broke them down into smaller venues by discipline. So you could hear from someone who wants to talk about recreational therapy and dementia and what does that mean and how do you work with someone from a person-centered perspective. But it also is enlightening for a designer to understand all the different types of dementia and how that works. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, um, thank you again for being here and sharing your perspective with our listeners, Jane. Um, I always appreciate it. Great to have you on. You too. Thanks, Robert. Sure. Well, for our listeners, um, head over to livetogethercommunity.org uh, to find out more about this amazing program when you get a chance. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do uh, and tell your colleagues about us if you would be so kind. And thanks again for tuning in. And as always, be well, everyone. Thank you.